Please take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 18, and we will be considering together verse 19. Psalm 18, verse 19. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. He brought me forth into a large place. This is described as an act of deliverance. One who has been in a narrow place, in a confined space, in a, in a straight uh, location, has been taken out of that tight location and brought into a large place. You see this kind of language in many places. For example, in Job chapter 36, verse 16, even so would he have removed thee out of the straight into a broad place where there is no straightness, and that which should be set on thy table should be full of fatness. Now we, we understand the concept. We, we hear about those who are spelunking, who are exploring uh, caves under the earth, and they get into a, a tight channel and something collapses and they're trapped. And there's a great rescue mission that's take, that has to take place, or someone is at the bottom of a well and is trapped. Or we even hear of our brethren uh, who are persecuted in foreign lands and they're confined in solitary confinement in these rudimentary prisons where they're set into a very tight place. We, we understand that concept and we can appreciate that in such circumstances to be delivered, to be rescued, to be brought out and to, be, to enter into a broad open place would be remarkable indeed. So the concept is, is easy enough. Here we have uh, David who is writing. This is first recorded for us in, in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And then it's then included by the Lord here in the Psalter in, in Psalm 18. And it's a song of deliverance. It's the historical context is one of deliverance. The theme and content of the song all is descriptive of deliverance, rescue, of relief, of salvation that has been brought to him. And it's a remarkable psalm in many respects. But even more so when found in the remarkable mouth of our Lord. As you know, this is, in the first place, his song. And so we can think of our Lord Jesus Christ taking these words, his own words, up into his lips and singing and saying, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Here we have enlargement after confinement. It really begins this section in verse 16. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented, that is, they went before me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my Stay. So we're going to consider two things this evening under this theme of being brought into a large place. First of all, 
We begin with our Lord, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ brought into a large place. In what way was the Lord Jesus able to sing these words? How was it that he was brought into a large place? And that, the answer to that begins, as you well know, at the opening of the Gospels, where we read of the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, becoming the incarnate Word, assuming to himself, into union with his person, a true human nature. And what do we discover, children? We discover that the Holy Spirit comes, hovers over Mary, and Christ is conceived within her womb. You think of that. You know, you think of the language of Psalm 139 and how we are knit together in our mother's wombs by the Lord. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God-man, who is the creator of the universe. And here he is within the womb, the very tight confines of Mary's womb, being put together miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there he was within that small chamber in his mother's body for nine months, the creator of heaven and earth, right? The God of glory dwelling in a very tight place, a very small place, if you will. And he's, of course, his mother gives birth. He's brought into this, this world. And what do we discover? He is squeezed still. There's no place for him in the end. So he's squeezed out of the normal confines of where someone might stay. He's pushed out and placed among the animals with, uh, in, in a manger. Here is, again, the one who is the God of gods, the God of glory, the one who holds all things in his own hand and upholds and sustains the, most, the furthest reaches of, of the cosmos. And he is placed into this small manger as a small child confined to, the, to that location. And yet, he's not even left in, in those circumstances un, as uncomfortable as we might consider them. But of course, the wrath of Herod and hearing of the birth of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, puts out an edict uh, that he would destroy all of the, the male children that are two years and under. And so Christ is pushed out of his town, pushed out of his country. And by the command of God, Joseph takes him into Egypt for a season. And so here he is from his very infancy, from his earliest childhood. We have a picture given to us of the Lord Jesus Christ squeezed, as it were, into a strait, into a confined, into a tight place. He grows up into his maturity and he begins to enter into his, his earthly ministry. And immediately, what happens? He's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. There he fasts for 40 days. And on the cusp of that, what happens? He faces the devil himself. The devil comes to tempt him, we are told. He is, Christ is driven into the vice of a fierce series of temptations. And there he is pressed and squeezed under the grip of this mighty tempter. 
if thou be the Son of God, twisting the Scripture, doing all that he could in order to ply his strength, in order that Christ might somehow, somewhere, stumble in response to him. And yet the Lord delivers him from that vice, and he is, he is brought out uh, of it. We see him going into his earthly ministry, and he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the kingdom. He's preaching uh, repentance, and the, the crowds are pressing him and are, are, are seeking to, to, crowd, to crowd him to the point where, it, in one instance, he has to actually load into a boat and push off from shore in order to have space uh, to preach and to speak to them. We know that also his enemies, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, were constantly on the hunt, hounding him, seeking to entrap him in their words and in their mischief, right? seeking to lay snares for him that he might be captured in what he would say, things that they could use to twist and pervert and, and thereby bring harm to him. There are times when they seek to capture him and he escapes. He passes through the crowds. He's delivered out of those narrow, narrow escapes by the, the, the hand of, of the Lord. You think of the language of Psalm 31, all of these enemies, the devil himself and enemies in this world coming after him. Jesus would have sung Psalm 31 verse 8 as well. And hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room, in a large space. And so in the grip of the devil, he's delivered. In the midst of all of the attacks and uh, mischief and, and, and all that the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, chief priests sought to bring, the Lord delivered him, brought him into a wide place. But as his days go on and as the weeks and months pass and as he comes closer and closer to Calvary, it would seem as if things become tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter for him. And so we discover him there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he is in the, the depths of the anguish of his soul, sweating, as it were, drops of blood. Here he is wrestling under the hand of God himself, facing, looking into the cup that is placed before him, understanding, seeing, and knowing like no other could all that that cup contained, seeing the full vent of the wrath of Almighty God, the just indignation and judgment that would fall upon his righteous soul, the fact that he, as the sin-bearer, would be accounted a mass of sin under God, the sins of his people being credited to his own account, and the sword of justice being thrust into the depths of his own soul. There in the garden, he faces all of this. He is squeezed by it. Drops of blood, uh, sweat like blood come out uh, of him under it, under these tight confines. We have the arrest which follows. And there the enemies come, included one of his own, one whom he had shown every kindness to, who had slept near him and ate with him and took food from his own hand and had been cared for by him, along with the religious establishment, the church of that age, 
with staves and swords, they come in order to arrest him. And he is confined again. He's brought under arrest. He's captured. He is secured. He is taken by them to be judged and subjected to their kangaroo court, spit upon, smitten, struck, a crown of thorns placed upon his head, and so forth. He is in a tight place. He's in a narrow place. He's being squeezed under the grip of all of these horrific afflictions. And then he comes. They take him, of course, to Golgotha. They take him to Calvary's hill. And there the Lord Jesus Christ is placed upon a cross. He is nailed in place, unable to move, no freedom, no ability to walk away or to wave his hands. He is nailed in place, confined to that wooden cross, hoisted up, dropped in a hole. And he suffers all the anguish that is associated with that. And it is as if things are closing in and closing in and closing in. And indeed they are. Because in addition to all that's taking place outwardly, which men could see in terms of the, the execution and the gruesome sufferings that he's enduring, are underneath it and behind it all of the soul suffering that he's under, sustaining. And the wrath of the Father that is being poured out into his soul. And as things are closing in, the Lord even blots out the sun so that he's left shrouded in darkness for a period of a few hours. He cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here he is destitute under the, under the fury of, of Almighty God. The Lord Jesus Christ is in a narrow place, a tight place. And of course, he dies, offering himself up as a sacrifice for sin. And what happens then, children? He's buried, isn't he? Joseph of Arimathea, a tomb, a sepulcher in which no one else had been laid, would have been like a cave, right? Carved out of the side of a, of a hill, and there the Lord Jesus Christ is placed, his, his physical body is placed into the very narrow confines of that tomb. He is now at the bottom of his descent of humiliation. Having passed rung after rung after rung, he is now laid like a common man in a very narrow tomb. You remember, children, they take great pains to secure it. They, they, they roll a large stole, uh, stone over the opening of that cave and the seal is placed upon it. And they post guards outside in order to protect and defend it. And there the body of the Lord Jesus Christ is inside. And they're thinking to themselves, there's nothing he can do now. There's nowhere he can go now. This is the end of the story. And nothing else can come from this. He is left in the cramped quarters of that sepulcher. But Christ is brought into a large room. He can say, He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The grave could not hold him. The stone walls were inadequate. The stone rolled in front of the tomb is inadequate. 
the soldiers who are outside are inadequate. Death itself, the power of death, which no one in and of themselves can break free from, was inadequate to hold him. We think of the language of Psalm 118 and verse 5. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. What happens? Christ is resurrected. He rises from the dead. He rises from the dead by the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is brought to life. He bursts the bands of death itself. He is delivered from the grave. And he is brought in his resurrection into a large place. Out of the hole of death. Into the, into the, the broad place of, of life under the power of God. And here is resurrection power. Supernatural miracle. A work of God. Something that could never be duplicated or fabricated by any other, anywhere, under any circumstances. And as you know, the Lord tells us that it is that same resurrection power which is at work in the souls of God's people, which we'll hear more about in a moment. And so Christ is brought into a large place in the resurrection, but it doesn't stop there either, does it? His ascent is not yet finished in the resurrection. Or his, his, his exaltation is not yet finished in the resurrection because he ascends too. He's delivered out of the confines of even this world, which he had stooped and condescended to come into. And so he ascends from the earth into the heavens, indeed above and beyond even the highest heavens. Here is Christ being brought into a large place being brought outside of the world with all of its limitations and atmosphere and restrictions and so on into the abode of God himself. And we're told that he's seated and exalted above all, that he's given dominion from sea to sea. You think of the difference between when you're hiking, being deep, deep, deep down in a narrow ravine. And there you are, and you're like working your way through thick brush and everything else, and the sides are steep, and you're in a narrow place. But you hike and hike and hike, and eventually you get to the top. Right? Eventually you climb to the very top, maybe a clearing at the top of the, of the mountain. And now, what, where are you? Right now you can breathe, you can see, you know, as far as the eye can, can cast its gaze. What a difference from being down in the the depths of a, a deep ravine to being brought up on high. This is our Lord. Our Lord is ascended above the highest heavens. He is exalted as the God-man. And he is given all power and authority in heaven and earth. He looks down upon heaven. He looks down upon the angelic host. He looks down upon the earth. And he is sovereign. He is king. He is Lord. He is brought into a large place passage says, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ himself singing these words. He has delivered me. He has seen the power of God at work. And all that we've seen described here, why? Why delivered? 
because he delighted in me. The father delighted in him. We hear it prophesied in Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And then we come into the, the New Testament, and there at his baptism, the Lord, the Father speaks from heaven, even as the, the, the Spirit descends as a dove upon our Lord, and he lays claim to him. This is my beloved son. This is the one in whom I am well pleased. This is the one you must hear. Right? The same thing we hear it again at the transfiguration. The one in whom the Father is so incredibly well pleased. He's delighted in him. Even at the cross, when Christ is the object of divine wrath as the substitute who is standing in the place of his believing people and paying the full penalty and punishment for their sins, even in those depths of anguish and of horror, which is unspeakable, even there the Father's delighting him. Indeed, the Father's delighting in him there as much and more than anywhere and his willingness to offer himself as the sacrifice for sin. The Father delighted in the, in the Son, delighted in the Lord Jesus Christ, unlike any other, the one who is the eternal Son that had dwelt within the bosom of the Father, who is the incarnate Word, who takes to himself a human nature in order that as the Redeemer of God's elect, he might secure a full and free salvation for his people, he is the chief delight of the Father. And so he is delivered. And so we see Christ brought into a large room. But then secondly, the believer brought into a large place. The believer brought into a large place. It is only because these words were first and foremost Christ's words that they can ever be found in the mouth of his people. They become our words because they were first his words. It is because Christ himself was brought into a large place that we with him are also able to be brought into a large place. He indeed delivers us. He delivers us from all of the narrow confines in which we find ourselves. You think of how often this sort of imagery is found. Psalm 40, he brought me out of a pit, right? A miry pit of clay. That's where we were. He delivered us. He set our feet upon a rock. He put a new song in our mouth, even praise to our God. You have something similar in Psalm, the opening of Psalm 116 as well. And so here is a believer who by faith through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is brought into union with the Lord Jesus Christ and thereby enabled to enjoy the same privileges and to be, and to be able to, in their own experience, participate in all that these words mean. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Where do we find ourselves? We find ourselves in the stranglehold of sin. 
That's where Christ found us, if we are a believer. That's where all of us are by nature. That's how we're born, in the stranglehold of, of sin. Crushed under the weight of guilt. The guilt of a broken law pressing down upon us, right? That broken law crushing us under, under its enormous weight, pressed under the sentence of that law, guilty. And the guilty must pay the punishment and penalty that is due for that guilt, which is everlasting torment and hell. All of the fears that come with that, confined to the prison house of spiritual bondage, unable to do anything good, unable to do anything to save ourselves, unable to do anything to please the Lord, to attract the Lord's favor in and of ourselves. That's where some of you find your, that's where some of you are precisely this evening. You're in the stranglehold of sin. You're in the bondage house of the prison of, of sin. You're pressed under the guilt, of, uh, under the weight of guilt and under the sentence of the law. And that's where you will stay, left to yourself. Because you cannot deliver yourself. Notice the language, he delivered me. This is your only hope. If you're unconverted here this evening, this is your only hope, is that he, that is Christ, would be the one who would deliver you, who would snatch you like a brand from the fire, who would scoop you out of the miry pit of clay, who would come into the depths of this narrow, tight confines that you find yourself in, and to bring you out with the strength of his own arm. You know, we sing in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength in straits, in tight places, a present aid. The Lord is the one who can be, he's the only help in tight places. He's the only one who can deliver us. And what does he do in the gospel? He sets free, right? He, he breaks the chains of sin. He looses his people from the prison house of bondage. He opens those prison doors. He delivers those who are stifling uh, and, 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 and dying, as it were, spiritually in their own blood and sin. The Lord comes and he delivers. And he brings his people out of that dank, dark dungeon and brings them into the light and liberty of the open place of his grace and gospel. And through the gospel, we're brought into the open, into, the, into a place that is broad, a place where we can stretch and, and look and take in all that is around us. This is the, the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. He delivers poor, helpless sinners and brings them into a large place. And there the believer goes on. And you think of all of the other ways in which this, this verse becomes our song within our own experience. 
We face temptations, even those in a state of grace, those who are walking with the Lord and walking before the Lord. And just as was with our Savior, the devil comes. And the devil corners the believer. And the devil seeks to lay his grip upon the believer. And he brings various angles and arguments and snares and enticements and temptations in order to trap and to bind and to pull down and to stumble the Lord's people. What does the Lord do? He delivered me. The Lord comes and makes a way of escape in the language of Paul. There hath no temptation taking you, but such as is come unto man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able? But will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And here is the Lord. You find yourself being backed deeper and deeper into the corner of temptation. And the Lord comes in his mercy to deliver. And he makes a way of escape for his people. And he brings you out into the open, into a large place. The same thing is true with regards to trials. All of the various afflictions, the suffering that God's people are called to. What is that? It is, well, it's a call to service. We serve the Lord in suffering. It's a field of labor. It's a field in which we, we walk before the Lord. But it is a narrow place, isn't it? It's a tight place. And the Lord comes to us in those things. And the trials can be acute and they can be chronic and they can be enduring at times. They can be intense. They can be overwhelmingly heavy in pressing us. And all of their diversities. And it feels as if left to ourselves, enclosed in those in afflictions, that we would despair, that our faith would fail. And the Lord comes, doesn't he? If God did not interpose, your faith would fail. But while enclosed in these temptations, the Lord comes and he grants escape, he grants relief, he grants upholding, he grants strength. He brings the soul, even in the midst of affliction, into a large place where there is fresh, as it were, fresh air that is taken into our lungs. Ultimately, the believer doesn't even stop there, do they? Because ultimately, the believer is taken into the largest of all places, which is heaven itself. The same place that Christ is gone, to be with him at his throne, on his throne, before his throne, to be above and beyond the reach of sin and sorrow. We will be able to say at death, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Heaven is a large place. It's a place where God himself dwells. It's a place where innumerable angelic beings dwell. It is the place where all of the elect are. It's an enormous place. 
It's a very large place. The Lord delivers his people and he brings them with Christ into that large place above and beyond the reach of sin and of sorrow to be forever with the Lord. But as with Christ, we also note here, he delivered me because he delighted in me. He delivered me because he delighted in me. You think, well, pastor, it's very, very easy to hear those words in Christ's mouth. Of course, the Father is well pleased and delights in the Son. But for the believer, he delivered me because he delighted in me. That can be a point at which you stumble. And yet the Lord tells us over and over, you go back to the law in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15, only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them. And he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. You think of the same thing in the prophets, places like Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 4, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, which is translated, My delight is in thee. Thou shalt be called Hephzibah, thy land Beulah, right, married, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. Here is the Lord, and he's saying that he delights in his people. How is that possible? Because he has himself sovereignly of his own initiative, his own goodness, his own, the counsel of his own will has placed his love upon his people. They are the object of his love. We delight in what we love. You think of whatever object it is that you love, you delight in it. Well, that's the Lord's people. They're the apple of his eye. He's placed his love upon his people. And as such, he takes great delight in them. And so it is a delight to him to deliver his people. It's a delight to take them out of tight places and to bring them in this life into a large place. He, he, he delights to take them out of this small world, ultimately, and to bring them into the large place of heaven to come. The Lord delights in his people because his people are found in his son. They're found in union with his son. They've been purchased by his son. They belong to his son. They're covered in the righteousness of his son. They've been washed with the blood of his son. They've been married to his son. And so the Lord delights in his people and he delights to bring them into a large place. We see our own weaknesses. We see our own weaknesses. We often feel claustrophobic. We often feel, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, claustrophobic. Our trials, our temptations, our struggles, our setbacks, our own inadequacies, we're enclosed. We feel prevented from being able to move, to be able to escape. And as I said, we would despair. 
if left to ourselves. But this is the point. God's people are never left to themselves. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The believer is also brought into a large place. This is something which we look back on at times with thanksgiving and gratitude. We sing this song in, in triumph and in acknowledgement of the Lord's goodness and grace. Sometimes we sing it in the present moment. In the very moment when we're in need of it. Sometimes we look ahead at what's coming and we sing it prospectively as well. We, 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 we pray these words, Lord, grant it. Grant that I would be brought into a large place. Grant that I would be delivered. O Lord, thou hast said that thou dost delight in me. Bring me into a large place, O Lord. This is suitable for us to pray in the midst of our depths and darkness and difficulties. To pray that the Lord would bring us up out of them. And what's true for the individual, lastly, is also true for the church corporately. So we're thinking of the believer brought into a large place. You think of the church, and I just say this briefly, the church corporately often finds itself in tight places, right? You think of times of persecution, of course, where you have overwhelming opposition. You know, people are being hunted and hounded and are being captured and imprisoned and tortured and executed. And there are attempts to stamp out the light of, of the church. Well, in those cases, the Lord is pleased and has been, has been pleased. As we read over and over in the accounts of, of, of history of bringing his people into a large room, individual Christians fleeing persecution and escaping remarkably. The church, after a season of persecution, being delivered and brought out into an open place under the boot, out from under the boot of tyranny and despotism. But it's not just in those sorts of things. We kind of go there quickly. You think also spiritually. The church can be in a dark place. There's no persecution. There's not, you know, opposition and bloodshed and that sort of thing. But rather there's declension, backwardness, spiritual deadness, weakness, you know, very little impact in terms of the preaching of the gospel, very little inroads in terms of the transformation of communities. You think of the weight that that is and should be for the people of God. It's as if we are being pressed down. It's as if we're being squeezed into a tight place. It's not comfortable. It's not, there is no elbow room. There's no expansion. It doesn't feel as if there's much movement. Days of deadness. Days of, of spiritual backwardness. And yet here too the Lord has been pleased to send forth his Holy Spirit and to revive his church. He's been pleased to take his church and to bring them into a large place and to fling wide open the doors that they could not budge. 
to, get, to open doors that no man could shut, to give the gospel free course to be, and to be glorified, to send forth the Spirit with great power. And what happens? The church, you know, people are being converted. And man, loads of people are being converted. And the church is being revived and holiness is at a, at a feverish pitch. And, and there's advance and strength and glory. And the Lord is gathering to himself honor and praise He's brought, his, he's brought his people into a large place. Oh, that God would make it so that he would bring forth his people collectively into a large place. That we would say he's delivered us, he's delighted in his church in reviving her cause, the cause of Zion for the glory of his own name. And so we have Christ, first of all, brought into a large place. And as a consequence, believers brought into a large place. Let's stand together for prayer. Almighty God in heaven, the one who alone is able to open doors that no man can shut, to shut doors that no man can open, the one who alone is able to deliver poor helpless sinners from the miry pit of clay, the one who comes as Savior, as Redeemer, as Deliverer. O Lord, we magnify and glorify thy name for thy grace. And we are thankful for all of the ways, the relatively small ways as well as the enormous ways in which thou dost bring thy people into a large place. And we return our thanks and gratitude for every token of mercy and pray, O Lord, grant that thy will would continue to be accomplished, that we would be again and again able to sing these words with faith and love and joy, with meaning to the glory of thine own name. How thankful we are for our Redeemer. How thankful we are that Christ himself has been brought into a large place. And so we ask these things in his precious name. Amen.